Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, we'll be giving you details on three areas of interest that we've been having a closer look at in our Hotel Analyst Perspective newsletter in the last week or so. Uh, Andrew Sankster, the Editorial Director of Hotel Analyst, is here with me, and I, my name is Chris Bowne. I'm the Editor at Hotel Analyst. And we're going to start this week by taking a look at the first quarter results, which have come in from quite a good number of the listed hotel companies. Um, obviously uh, comparing the first quarter of 2021 with the first quarter of 2020, uh, which was just as COVID was beginning to make an impact, means that the uh, the comparisons mean, uh, make no sense really because the, uh, the, the numbers are substantially worse. Um, but all of the uh, CEOs are basically looking forward to a hopefully much, much better summer, and then trying to work out quite how, um, after the leisure boom they're expecting the summer, quite how the business, uh, the traveller, is going to return to their hotels over the coming quarters. Um, and all sitting in slightly different areas, um, some like Scandic, uh, very much uh, back against the ropes and really hopeful that things pick up. Others um, relishing the coming fight and looking forward to picking off perhaps one or two opportunistic uh, additions to their portfolios. Yeah, so I was having a, a, an interesting dichotomy, particularly with Whitbread, which um, has really had a relatively, and this is all relative, um, yeah. <laughs> um, a relatively good um um, pandemic in in the sense of um in, it's been really badly hit but not as badly hit as some of its rivals um but how it's actually moving in terms of its structure more towards um some of those more badly hit rivals so uh, i'd contrast say um the fortunes of scandic with whitbread and scandic's had a much tougher time and whitbread through having more ownership i think has has been proved more resilient mm. uh, certainly as has pandox as as an owner been more resilient but looking at whitbread's projections going forward in terms of his expansion its new rooms it's got in the pipeline are more than three quarters geared towards leases which is where scandic is and one of the reasons scandic suffered so much in this downturn so it's quite interesting that despite what it's been through whitbread still thinks actually this is going to be the way forward and I, my take on this is that Whitbread is actually going to start getting super aggressive in Germany. It's saying, look, we want to um, really grow here and we, 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 really, we really need and intend to add a significant number of extra rooms. So so in terms of um, additional potential this is um, extra rooms it reckons it can add over and above the ones already in its pipeline in the UK it's the number it gave was 19,000 rooms it's currently got 79,000 rooms whereas in Germany it's saying look we can add 47,000 rooms um, and it's got just 13,000 at the moment so there's this clear focus and push for Germany which actually I think is a good thing mm -hmm. um, um, from a um, company shareholder perspective um, in terms of how how Whitbread will evolve as a business but it's going to result in quite a significant change to the nature of Whitbread it will go from being predominantly an owner operator to being one which is primarily a leasehold player so it's going sort of from a prop co to an opco really in terms of structure o over the course of these next few years as it adds those leasehold rooms and is that um, that's so largely because what they just haven't got the choice of 
buying freehold sites and developing in Germany, or is it because they're in a hurry? Or um... well, it's probably a bit of bit, bit of both of that. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I think it's a conscious decision. Obviously, you can grow leasehold through you know you, you don't need as much anywhere near as much capital to do it mm. so you're just signing the contract you're not actually buying the the property itself so there's certainly an element of that in there um but as um you know as most many listeners to this podcast will know germany is very much a lease driven market and i think the opportunities that are going to arise are going to be around leases so it's saying that we're going to have to dive in here with both feet it's quite surprising that in the uk though as well it's going predominantly actually the proportion of its new pipeline in the uk which is leasehold is slightly higher than the proportion in in germany so that's i think quite interesting it's fully committing to this leasehold approach i think so it's gonna it's changing the nature of its business quite quietly and gradually over time but i think it's quite a significant significant switch Mm, okay and is it is it also potentially indicative of the cycle in that um there's plenty of leasehold stuff going to be coming up and is coming out and perhaps the the opportunity to buy sites and develop them at uh reasonable money is is just not there at the moment yeah um i i think also i mean it's it, it's from the point of view of signing leases right now is the best time to be signing them yeah, um, yeah. because you're going to get a better deal than you know if you're you're getting near to a peak of a cycle then you know that's the worst time to be signing deals at uh, least lease deals so i i think yes certainly this is a this is a good this is good i mean whether you're buying or signing leases it, it right now you you ought to be in a in a in a good position i mean we've talked um, i think we're going to talk later on this podcast about how prices haven't come off that much um so there's not that fantastic um but i think probably best position is, is indeed the leases so you know one would hope that the the lease deals that are being struck um are on uh, relatively favourable terms, so we're not going to get to a situation um, so we start having the CVAs or the the the, the problems that Travelodge has been through twice, and mm-hmm. um, indeed Scandic is currently going through now. And I was interested that uh, one of Alison Britain's complaints about Germany was that there's, the, there's no big acquisition targets, so it's actually quite a job to grow your portfolio in Germany because you have to pick off almost individual site by site acquisitions. Yeah, there are bits there. I mean, obviously, Motel One. I mean, it, it's, it's very it's obvious. obvious. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an obvious one. There's bits of uh, Deutsche Hospitality as well. Um, the the mid market um, bits of that um, would be. But you know, where, whether um, Wazoo are a seller, I don't know. Mm. Maybe uh, you know that is possible. And you know, as an outside one is Scandic. I mean, if Whitbread wanted to add Scandinavia and to its german dominance then um i think that would be a great one but i mean whitbread is you know saying we want to be the number one budget player it wants to push forward and overtake um the, the current number one which is Accor with its ibis brand um best western marriott and ihg are also all ahead of um whitbread at the moment um so there's kind of like a face-off coming here mm. um between the franchise model of those global majors Accor, marriott ihg um and whitbread's lease approach um and you know we've got a very well capitalized aggressive player in the german market in the form of whitbread now looking to take on that franchise now you know there's been a lot to talk about franchise how it's the future and i think in many markets it is but i suspect um when push comes to shove it's it's whitbread's 
lease approach which is going to win out here mm. now we're going to talk next about uh, the volume of investment uh, capital that's out there looking for a home um, this is a regular topic because we are often told by agents that there's so much capital out there in the market looking to uh, come into the hotel sector but uh, we've had a look at a, a broader range of um, information and figures presented by uh, the organizations ANREV, INREV and NCREIF well I won't try and say that one um, but they are all <laughs> researching um, what's going on with non-listed investment in real estate um, they point out that uh, they, they've done a, a bit of research and point out that while last year the uh, amount of capital raised to put into real estate uh, was down on the previous year one of the reasons that, that was cited by by fund managers for not collecting more cash was that there's there's a, a lack of opportunity to to invest um, but the, the the amounts of cash is, is coming in is eye-watering and it looks like it's it's going to be finding its way into uh, the various sectors of of real estate. Um, there are some indications that that the the European marketplace will follow what's gone in America in terms of institutionalising uh, investment in um, residential uh, various types of buildings with beds that aren't hotels. Um, and also, there's there's clear evidence that hotels are now becoming much more mainstream, not least because um, such things as retail and offices don't look terribly good right now um it's certainly maturing in europe um but uh, an industry that's certainly not running out of steam absolutely not and um, i i i contrasted in my commentary on 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 the, your story chris i i contrasted um what's been going on in the bond market with what's been going on in the, the real estate investment market and and i think what matters here is is the the gap between yields in the bond market and yields in real estate and whilst if you purely look at yields in real estate you think oh goodness is this a good time to be investing in real estate but actually given how low the bond yields are and you know are are remaining despite all the talk of inflation mm. um we're not really seeing um, that much shift in in bond yields so uh, you know i the benchmark is the u.s 10-year treasury um you, you look at that and i mean it hits over three percent um what two uh, three years ago um i mean it, we had a slight um, uplift um, which actually because it's so low it was a doubling of its of of its yield but even then it only hit 1.6 percent at the end of March and everybody started screaming inflation inflation you know we're we're heading to this and we're going to see interest rates shoot through the roof and all this kind of stuff um, I, I'm not convinced that is what's happening um, and it seems to me that we just seem to be bobbling around a bit around you know with bond yields low and it, given where central banks are uh, especially with we were in this you know unknown world of quantitative easing where they all the central banks are sitting on their own government um, um, bonds uh, gilts in the UK case um, it, it's very hard to see them moving that hard on 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 interest rates and that fast on interest rates so I, I don't see them shooting up um, and you know inflation indeed will rise a bit I think it has to I think we're going to see quite a um, move on 
on inflation at least in the the next year or two um because the all the signs are we've got quite a squeeze in terms of um, supply at the moment um you know right across the piece in terms of you know everything from cars are um going to go up in price because there's a shortage of microchips and consumer electronics are similarly impacted by the shortage of microchips there's all sorts of supply issues going on in the market which will push prices up not just and and also bring in the fact that the sort of deglobalization that's going on where you know china's getting ostracized and um you know uh, even brexit itself where the, the things are coming back to the uk and coming back to uh, mainland europe uh, respectively um so th- that sort of stuff I- is is going to impact pricing as well um so and, and pu- push it up but I, I i just don't see it sort of shooting away um as some fear and this is going to keep um property looking attractive if if bond yields stay low um you know investors have to go somewhere for bond like returns and property is that is the next nearest option and i think they're gonna certainly if you look at all the fundraisings we've got record levels of fundraising to invest in property and it's going to um and i think that's just going to continue for the time being um it's, it's hard to see a catalyst for for that changing so i, I you know i'm I, i'm pretty optimistic that that you know as it as this market evolves and starts uh, we start seeing growth uh, return to the economies we'll continue to see um, property at the forefront of of investment and in particular in our sector operational real estate this is where people are heading because they um, investors are having to move up that risk curve that you know they're saying look we, we need to get something approaching a positive return um we're not going to get that in in bonds we're not probably going to get that in traditional real estate investment where the yields are simply too low um so you know, if, you, if you're talking about triple net leases and that sort of thing we're going to have to get exposure to higher yielding operational real estate so i think this is going to be good tailwinds for our sector mm. now let's talk about what's going to be happening uh, as we get back to traveling once more uh, going on holidays and traveling on business the question is are we going to travel with purpose there's been lots over the last year in terms of concerns over the looming climate crisis uh, we've all been sitting at home watching tv programs uh, about uh, oceans full of plastic bottles and so it does seem that the whole issue of uh, environmental responsibility has been rising up the agenda while we've not been flying. So the question is, as as travel comes back, will we increasingly be uh, looking to travel more responsibly and and with a slightly different head on? Um, now Barry Sternlicht, who's uh, uh, famously does call trends in the uh, in the hotel industry pretty well. Uh, he's just recently launched via um, his company SH Hotels and Resorts a new loyalty program. It's called Mission, and it allows guests to offset the climate impact of their travelling, for example. So he says that uh, you know travelling with purpose is now more important, and there is demand for this sort of thing. Uh, we've also seen um, Preferred Hotels launch a uh, a new collection of hotels 
and places to go and stay which are particularly uh, environmentally responsible and connected to their local communities uh, this follows them they bought a consultancy called beyond green travel last year and uh, out of that uh, have have put this collection together and all the, the hotels who qualify for this collection have to pass a very stringent uh, set of checks uh, to ensure that they are doing uh, their most they can to minimize their environmental impact uh, so the question now is i suppose whether this is a trend that is going to continue or is this just some something that we're all going to forget once we get back to uh, the opportunity to jump on a cheap plane and go somewhere and travel again yeah it's interesting that your your piece centers on the the angle of purpose and uh, having a purpose within the organization and i think that um it is actually by looking at the organization uh where there is going to be change i i I'm very skeptical that it's going to be consumer driven I just don't buy that um, all the evidence I've seen uh, when it comes to so this green piece if it's f from a consumer perspective they like it but they're simply not prepared to pay for it um, and a as journalists we know Chris everybody says oh, oh we'd much rather have good news good news is, is 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 what we want but in reality the only thing they ever read is the bad news so it's 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 simply nonsense to to think that is what's going to drive it i think that what's going to drive the shift and the change um is it within the organization certainly we've we touch on this whole environmental social and governance issue the esg thing um it is is the investor piece there which comes in there's a sort of stick and carrot thing there's the stick with investors saying look we're not going to be investing in companies which don't meet our esg requirements and there's the carrot of actually you can access cheaper capital if you comply with esg um, um policies so i i think that that is where the drive is going to be on that side of it which is to do with the the company itself um and the internal organization but with regard to purpose um i i think you know rather like esg there's a strong correlation with companies which um deliver good esg um they're also good managers um and there's a similar thing in terms of purpose having purpose means having a well-run company where people understand you know within the organization the employees within the organization understand what the company is about and the suppliers to the organization understand what the company is about and to an extent to a lesser extent i think um consumers understand what the company is about now this purpose piece has to be centered on um the a consumer but it's not the consumers that are driving it if if mm. you understand the nuance I'm, I'm, okay. I'm driving out there um and it's the internal mechanics of the business which is the most important part i think in terms of the purpose message so you know employees like to think they're doing something not just you know making money isn't a, a great you know that isn't really a purpose as such um so i highlighted a couple of companies i looked at ikea which you know talks about making affordable furniture um um, and changing changing the people's habitats um, and living environments by making affordable furniture stylish affordable furniture lego um its purpose is to to have educational toys um drive creativity um in young people um so these are sort of clear purposes and 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 the businesses gear up around making money within that um both 
ikea and lego are privately held companies and i think you know private companies do actually have a bit of an advantage here over um listed companies where they've obviously got to be communicating continually usually quarterly Mm. about profits and so it's very hard not to do it but i think even where you are a listed company you do need to communicate to your employees and to uh, other stakeholders like suppliers that you've got a a wider purpose as well because this does help there's clear evidence that this helps drive the bottom line and i think we're going to hear a lot lot more about this um you know um, along with the whole esg piece in terms of how companies um, orientate themselves and how they try and um, build resilience and and uh, you know become a, a stronger longer term business you know so they, they can ex- get better opportunities within within the marketplace um, by t- taking a longer term strategic position um, rather than the sort of short-term profitability and it's a balancing act you, you've got that you have got a conflict between short-term profits and long-term value creation um it, it's a tough one um but that's why you know if you're running a publicly listed company you get paid mm-hmm. the big yeah. bucks right yeah. so you've you, you you've got to walk that that tightrope um and it, it, it's not easy um but get it right and you can create serious wealth for um for your investors right now then let's move on to our five star and no star award and uh this week we are awarding five stars to the yotel clerkenwell deal so uh the 212 pod yotel in clerkenwell just been sold out of administration for the sum of around 70 million pounds the important news is that it's actually been bought by an institutional fund legal and general investment management um, and that is notable because the property runs under a management agreement and i think this is probably the first time that an institutional fund has bought a uh, hotel property that sees them uh, getting their hands a bit dirty in the whole business of uh, of operating the property rather than just uh, taking the rent every quarter yeah i'm not sure it's the first time um it's certainly uh, one of the biggest and noisiest um examples of of, of such a thing i mean you know we often refer to schroeder's buying mm-hmm. algonquin um what, three years ago in terms of they actually bought a whole vehicle to enable them to make similar sort of investments what's interesting here i think is legal and general are just going almost going it alone without having acquired necessarily that um, immediate operational expertise but obviously they are bringing that and growing that in-house to enable them to be able to run this asset in the appropriate fashion so i think i think this is this is very interesting um for for those reasons and i think it's i think we're going to see more of that as we talk about the 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 growth of operational real estate and the move away from these traditional uh funds from uh fixed leases um and getting exposure to that to that and i think it's probably uh you know very well done to the legal and property advisory teams uh supporting this deal for helping to come up with some kind of a uh an arrangement a contract that uh enables uh, a fund to to take a hold of something where you cannot absolutely guarantee what the uh, returns going to be on the way way forward yeah you give a shout out to people like gerald eve who've been on this as advisors and um um uh, you know are clearly uh, very clued into you know what operational real estate is all about and they've been able to to work with uh, legal and general yeah, to, to deliver that and then to our no star award which this week is going to the uh 
the Royal Yacht Hotel in Jersey. They've just been fined £350,000 by the court in Jersey because last summer they decided to reopen their spa facilities at the hotel. Um, despite staff members asking management, are you sure we should be allowed, we should be doing this? Are you sure this is allowed? They cracked on and um, uh, the court has found that, uh, well, ignorance is no defence. Mm, I'm a bit ambivalent about yeah. this, to be honest, though, Chris. It's, it's you know one of the things the prosecution admitted was <laughs> there's no evidence at all that there was any spread of the virus as a result of this opening, um, and it does seem to me an extraordinarily large amount of money, um, you know, to to impose on a business which has been battered, um, you know, by restrictions. Um, imposed so uh, it, it seems quite harsh to me um, and you know the prosecution were you know calling for a £425,000 fine so in the end it's not far short of that and th that number was based on um, pre-covid trading um, so you know I mean I, th I think it's slightly disproportionate um, in in terms of the, the the scale of what's done now you've got to have a fair and level playing ground if you're going to allow somewhere to open everyone needs to be allowed to open but you know there is a question mark of you know why was everybody <laughs> shut down but perhaps best there'll be an inquiry there. in the <laughs> course about all of that i think and yeah. so that, <laughs> yes. so so we've been promised yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and on yeah. that happy note we'll wish you bye for now